This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. If you're visiting today, we have been walking through the book of Proverbs most of the year. And it is our habit to walk through books of the Bible. And so this morning, Proverbs 8 was up next, and that's what we do. Uh, We want to just continue with what God is doing in the life of our church. But it is so amazing. In the providence of God, uh, Proverbs 8 is a wonderful Easter passage. And I look forward to walking through it with you uh, together. You may have heard of the name Brian Johnson. He's a 45-year-old entrepreneur who a few years ago sold his business for $800 million. He decided to spend the rest of his life trying to find a way to reverse aging. He wanted to make himself a, a basically a case study of how to stop the effects of aging. And the older he gets to get younger and younger and younger. And so he spends $2 million a year trying to accomplish this. He has hired over 30 doctors and nutritionists who help him. He goes through strict regimens every single day. He gets regular scans and regular blood tests consistently. He has a hundred different protocols every single day that he does. He eats precisely 1,977 vegan calories a day. Not 1,978. He eats 1,977 vegan calories a day. 70 pounds of fruits and vegetables a month. He wakes up at 4.30 every single morning. He does 35 exercises and takes 100 supplements a day. He has a bedtime routine that two hours before it's time for bed, he puts these blue light glasses on in order to kind of rest his heart and get him prepared for bed. Here's what he has for breakfast every day. Broccoli, cauliflower, black lentils, mushrooms, garlic, and ginger. By the way, um, Krispy Kreme doesn't, they don't serve that anymore, I ask. Um, For lunch... He has something called nutty pudding, which I'm not sure if it's a reference to him or if it's something that has nuts in it. But either way, it has something called nutty pudding. And then he really mixes it up for dinner. So you might think, boy, this is boring. Well, it's not because for dinner, he has vegetables, berries, nuts, and seeds. Uh, that's what he does. That's his routine every single day. An article I read about him showed his exercise routine, these 35 different exercises that he does. And I noticed in one of those pictures, it's super encouraging to me, in one of the pictures of his exercise, listen, he uses the exact same row machine that I have, (laughs) disassembled in my basement. Exact same one. So he's not the only one trying to knock it out of the park. So uh, every time he's interviewed, he insists that he's not afraid of dying. He's not doing this because he doesn't want to die. He simply says, I just love living and I want to live as long as I can. To which I think most normal people say, I'm not sure I would want to live much longer doing that. I mean, can you imagine the, really the sense of, of bondage that you would feel if, if you could not eat but the precise number of calories every single day? If you had a hundred protocols a day, not being able to skip anything. If you were constantly living and breathing every single day just to live a little bit longer... When I think about his life, what I realize is there is more to life than just living. It is possible to be alive and to not have life. 
<laughs> it is possible to, to breathe and to walk and to talk and to be at church on an Easter Sunday morning and not have any sense of wholeness, any sense of hope, any sense of peace, any sense of, of rest, any sense of confidence in who I am, and any sense that death is not the greatest enemy when you know Jesus Christ. The death, because of the resurrection of Christ, is really just the entrance into greater life. And this is exactly why Jesus looked out at a multitude of people who were breathing, who were talking, who were living, and he said this to them, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. In other words, I know you're living, but I also see your heart and you don't have life. And the reason I've come is I've come to take the, the physical life that you have and I've come to put the spiritual life inside of it. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. And the story of the word of God is God's pursuit of us and his desire to give us life an abundant life that we would not just live, but we would know the very resurrection life of Christ. It is the life that Adam and Eve had in the garden, but it's the life that they lost because of sin. God told them, when you sin, you will surely die. But there was two deaths he refers to, a, a physical death and a spiritual death. Certainly, the presence of sin brought in physical death, and Adam and Eve would die. But at the moment in which they sinned, something else died. The very life of God in them, a soul that was alive with God, which was the source of their sense of contentment and completeness and joy and love and life and hope, died when sin came in. The soul that once was filled with God, the soul that beat for God, the soul that was alive with spiritual life was now dead. And so now here are Adam and Eve, breathing, talking, walking, working, but they had no life. I think the reality is, is that every single one of us, if we were honest this morning, which is hard to do on Easter, but if we were honest, would say that you've had a moment when life felt a little bit like that. You were living, you were walking, you were existing, you were here on a Sunday morning, but there was something missing. There just, there just wasn't, there wasn't any life. That there was this cloud over you of, of hopelessness and, and despair and anxiety and constant concern. And there was no rest. There was no sense of just being okay. There was no sense of acceptance and affirmation that only can come from God. And the reason is, is because it is possible to be alive and not have life. And this life that we long for, the life that we were created for, the life that Adam and Eve experienced, is what Jesus calls eternal life. It is eternal both in quality and quantity. Certainly it refers to the, the quantity of life. What it means is the moment that we come to know Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life. It begins at that moment and it increases moment after moment after moment, meaning that at the moment of our physical death, we actually enter into more life. There is greater life on the other side of death. So for someone who has their hope set on Jesus Christ and understands the things of the Lord, although we don't want to leave the ones that we love, and there is something sad about death, the reality is the greatest life awaits us on the other side of death. <laughs> That's Easter right there. And so there is this quantity of life, but there's also this quality of life he refers to in eternal life. That instead of being, listen, an empty, hollow shell of a physical life, 
God has put his life inside of you. It's the quality of life that Jesus wants to give us, eternal life. The life in which we know God and that we know that we belong to him and we know that we are okay with him. A life that comes with this deep abiding sense of hope and confidence in the promises of God. It is exactly what Jesus is referring to in John three sixteen when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That those who believe in Jesus and only those who believe in Jesus, and by believe it means that we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, that we surrender ourselves fully to the will and the work of Christ, to those they get eternal life beginning the moment they come to know him. And there is an incredible picture of this in Proverbs chapter 8. Of all things that God in his providence would, would put us here in this passage today with such an incredible picture of the life that God wants to give us. Because Proverbs 8 is an invitation, it is a plea, it is a call. Look at the first few verses. It is wisdom calling out. Look at verse one in chapter eight. It says, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. Now there's some interesting things there because here's wisdom crying out at the crossroads, meaning the place where everyone is going at the entrance of the portals of the city, so the place where people are going in and out. She is not hiding, she is not secluded. Wisdom has found the place in which the most people are going to be. And it says that she stands there and she calls, she raises her voice, she's not timid, she cries out. And then verse four says, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. So who's this for? Everyone. It's for everyone, to all the children of, of men. This is, this is for you. I'm crying out to you and I'm, I'm calling to you. And if you'll notice, verse four begins with quotation marks. And those quotation marks go all the way through verse 36 to the end of the chapter. So what's happening in Proverbs 8 is wisdom is calling and saying, I'm calling to you, I'm crying, I'm inviting you, I'm pleading with you, I'm urging you. I'm going to every single individual person and I'm watching you as you walk along the way. And I'm inviting you to come to me. I have an offer for you. And the rest of the chapter is the offer that wisdom is making us. The plea that wisdom is giving to us. Now the reason this is important for us as New Testament believers is because of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. And if you've been with us through our study of Proverbs, you know this. Where it says that Christ is the wisdom of God. Now we have to be careful here. What that means is not that every place that says wisdom, you read Jesus Christ. You can't make that direct parallel in everything. But what it does mean is this. Everything that wisdom offers, Jesus offers and more. I want you to get that. Everything wisdom offers, Jesus also offers, but more and more and more. So any offer that wisdom is making is an offer that Jesus Christ is making. Why? Because Jesus is the full embodiment of wisdom. And so what Proverbs chapter 8 is this is it's Jesus crying to us, calling to us, to every single one of us and saying, let me tell you what I want to offer you. And the offer that he makes just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Let's look at the offers Jesus makes together. The first one is this. Jesus offers us truth. He offers us truth. That's verses four through 14. Jesus offers truth. It says, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Verse five, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, Learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. 
There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and I have strength, the Lord says. Now we're introduced again to these two characters in verse five. If you've been with us again, you know these. They came clear to us in chapter one and they're mentioned in almost every single chapter. There is the simple one. Now the simple person is not stupid. It's very important to know this. The simple person is not ignorant, but the simple person is naive. And the simple person does not contemplate the things that matter most. The simple person does not take seriously those things which we must take seriously. The simple person would be obsessed with things that don't matter as much as other things that are being ignored. And that's why the simple person is also a fool. Because a fool is someone who ignores God. A fool is someone who doesn't think about God at all. Now, I don't know Brian Johnson, the 45-year-old entrepreneur. And so I can't make a statement about his spiritual life. But having read about him and the things he said... There seems to be something there about him that's really simple and naive. He's brilliant in many ways, but yet he's neglecting God. He's not thinking about the Lord. If he was thinking about the things of God, he would have more hope in life and more hope in death. He would not be spending his money just trying to stay alive. He would be seeking the Lord that he might know life. And there is something just a bit sad about that. Because why would you want to live an extra 10, 15, 20, 30 years if you had no life? And if there was no reason to live? And if you were living in constant bondage? And so this is for those who, who really don't think much about the things of the Lord. They're thinking about other things. And there's this offer that they could get, look at verse 6, noble things. The things that matter the most. That's what noble things mean. Noble thing, me, things mean those are of utmost importance. So he says to the simple and to the fool who don't think much about God, I want to talk to you about the most important things. I have the things that matter most. I have the things that determine the quality and the quantity of your life. I have verse seven, truth. Truth. And it's not just information. The truth that God gives is not simply information. We often think about God's truth as the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the do nots, but that's not the truth that God offers us. The truth God offers us is a living, abiding truth. You see these words starting in verse five, it says, I give you prudence and sense. Look at verse nine, I give you knowledge. Verse 10, instruction and wisdom. Verse 12, prudence and knowledge and discretion. Verse 14, I give you counsel and sound wisdom, insight and strength. In our sermon on Proverbs chapter 1, we looked at every single one of those words and what they mean. But what they really mean to summarize is they mean the life that God has for us. They mean the wisdom to know how to live life in a way that life works best. It refers to the skill of living. To know how to live with a sense of purpose. The ability to make decisions. The ability to say things clearly. Listen, the ability to think that really matters, but that doesn't matter that much. The ability to discern what matters and what does not matter is exactly the kind of things that he's offering us here. And he's offering us ultimately, verse 7, that truth, that truth that leads to the abundant life that Jesus offers. 
And this is why it says in verse 10 and 11 that my instruction, this truth I want to give you, you should take it instead of taking silver. You should pursue this more than you pursue anything else in the world. You should take my knowledge rather than choice gold. Why? Because the wisdom I give you, the truth I give you, the insight I give you is better than jewels. And all that you may desire, think about that, everything you may desire in this life doesn't compare to this. The truth that God gives is greater and of more value than anything else you might pursue in all of life. And the reason is this, is because if you don't have this truth, you don't have life. And if you don't have life, living's really not worth that much. This is why Jesus says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What that means is that if you don't know the truth, you're not set free. If you don't know the truth, you're in bondage. And think about how this works. If you don't know the truth, if you don't have the truth of God, you are in bondage to your sin. You are in bondage to your shame. You are in bondage to your addiction. You're in bondage to your confusion. You're in bondage to your foolishness and your simplicity. You're wandering through life, spending so much time on things that don't matter while neglecting the one thing that matters most. It's just a meaningless existence. A living life without truth. And Jesus is the truth. And as we come to know Jesus, what happens is we come to know more and more of the truth. That God begins to take our confused mind and God begins to infuse it with truth as we pursue him. And the more we get to know him, God continues to give us his truth. And we start by faith. We just say, Lord, I believe that you're the truth and everything's not clear, but I'm gonna step into this truth. I'm gonna step into this relationship with you. And as I do, I'm gonna trust that you're gonna bring clarity to a confused mind. Because if you don't choose truth, you choose slavery. Because only those who know the truth have been set free. Jesus offers truth. Jesus also offers blessing. Get that down. Jesus offers blessing. Let me read verses 15 through 21. By me, wisdom says, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And listen to this promise. Those who seek me diligently, find me. Riches and honor are with me and enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield is better than choice silver. What I provide for you is better than silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness and the paths of justice. Listen, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. It's the life of, of the blessing of God. Now, I hesitate to use the word blessing because in the time in which we live, we, we tend to, to miss the significance, the deeply rooted biblical significance of the word blessing. It's kind of just become a hashtag, hasn't it? Found $20 in the pair of jeans I just put in, hashtag blessed, right? Got the last honey-baked ham for Easter, hashtag blessed. It's not raining on Sunday at the Masters, hashtag blessed. And let me just tell you something, those are blessings. I'm going to enjoy a honey-baked ham in the Masters this afternoon, I promise you. Those are blessings. But when the Lord talks about blessings, he talks about so much more than that. One of the things the Proverbs teaches us, listen, that when we choose to go God's way, things tend to go better for us because we're not working against the wisdom of God. We're working with the wisdom of God. But when we diminish the blessing of God to simply material things, then what we do is we make the treasure the things, not Christ. That's why the, the prosperity gospel is so demonic because it's getting you to try to come to Christ, not because you want Jesus, because you want stuff. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better than the stuff. And again, if you had to trade all the stuff to get Jesus, it would be worth it because Jesus is enduring and Jesus is lasting. Jesus is better. And that's exactly the message here of the blessing of God. Listen, riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. Enduring wealth. Why? Because there is eternal reward for those who know Christ. But listen, but my fruit, the fruit of knowing Jesus is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield is better than choice silver. Look, I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice. I grant an inheritance to those who love me and I fill their treasures. Why? Because 1 Peter 1.4 says that we have inheritance that is imperishable and reserved in heaven for us. Is that there is a greater treasure and the greatest treasure is that Matthew 13.44 we prayed about a moment ago. The greatest treasure is Christ himself. The blessing that God offers us is the blessing of of the kind of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 happiness and sense of satisfaction that's found in the presence of God, that's found in trusting the promises of God. It's the blessing that comes when you live out of a place of acceptance and approval and affirmation. Can you imagine if that constant thing in you that drove you out of competition and coveting and comparing, even when you might walk into a church on an Easter Sunday morning, that you compare yourself, you covet, you're constantly competing with others. Can you imagine if all of that in a moment died? Why? Because all of the acceptance and affirmation you needed, you found in who you are in Christ. That is a blessing. Can you imagine the lightness of your heart, the lightness of your spirit, where you never lived again for the approval of anyone else, but you simply lived out of a love for God. And a sense that you were okay with God because of what he was done for you on the cross. That's the blessed life. Proverbs 3.33 has really affected me in our study of Proverbs. It says this, the blessing of the Lord is on the house of the righteous. Now, I love that promise. I claim that promise. I believe that promise for my family. And when I think about that, what I mean is this, is not the blessing of prosperity. It's not the blessing of financial security. It's not the blessing of all my kids going to the college they want to go to. No, it's the blessing of the very presence of God in my home. Take away, take away every material thing. If my kids know Jesus and they love Jesus and they walk with Jesus and they enjoy the presence of Jesus, that's what I want on my house. That's what I want. I don't care about any of the other stuff. If you said, Josh, I'm going to take away all the other things, but I'm going to give you a family that knows the presence of God. Like our vision statement says, we are a people who experience, enjoy, and expand the presence of God. Take away everything. Give me that. That's the blessing I want on my house. And that's the blessing that, that Jesus provides. And the opposite of that blessing is curse. Because a curse resides on all of us. The curse of sin, the curse of death. And Galatians 3.33 says that Christ removes the curse by, coming, by becoming the curse for us. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, Jesus takes the curse that is upon us and he removes it. And what he replaces it with, Ephesians 1, is every blessing in the heavenly places that's in Christ Jesus. But if you don't choose blessing, then you're choosing the curse. You're choosing a life without the presence of God. Jesus offers truth. Jesus offers blessing. Third, Jesus offers order. Jesus offers order. This may be one of the most hopeful parts of this chapter. Look at it, starting in verse 22, it says this. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depth, I was brought forth. When there was no spring abounding with water, 
before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. It says there was a time, verse 24, where there was no depths, there was no springs, there were no mountains and no hills, there were no fills, verse 26, and there was no dust. There was nothing but, but void and emptiness. And in one moment, the voice of God spoke. And in that moment, the Lord then, verse 25, established the mountains. Verse 27, established the heavens. He drew a circle on the face of the earth. He made the skies. He had established the fountains of the deep. He assigned the seas as limits. He marked out the foundations of where the sea would be and the water would be. And he assured that the water never transgressed his command. You know what that means? The water does not go where he doesn't want us to go. He has not only created all things, he is in full control of everything. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And the point that he's making is this. Listen to me very carefully. The same God that took the void of the world and spoke it into order is the same God that wants to take the void in your life and speak it into order. He wants to create something new in your life. He wants to take the place in your life where there is frankly nothing. There is nothing of value. There is nothing worth anything. And he wants to put something meaningful in there. He wants to take the void and put something that is orderly there. He wants to take the chaos of our lives and he wants to bring it back into order. And this is what Jesus does. Colossians 1, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything. And he has not simply created the mountains and the rivers. He wants to create in you life. He wants to take your body and create something good. And what he creates in you is better than anything you could have without him. And I don't know what, where we go off thinking that, that we could create a life that is better than the life that God could create. Because we don't have the ability to speak order into void. We don't have the ability to speak creation. We don't have the ability to speak life, but God does. And what God does when we come to Christ is he takes our empty shell of a human body and he speaks order and life into it. The reality is, is that sin brings dramatic brokenness. One of the ways I love to think about the brokenness of sin is, and I'm going to go deep here for a minute, so stay with me. I know it's Easter, but... It's Humpty Dumpty. So Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. He's this, he's this little egg up there and he, and, he, and he has a great fall and he just shatters. I want you to imagine taking an egg and I should have done it this morning, taking an egg and just drop it. Imagine trying to put that back together. That's what sin did to your life. What sin has done to your life is it make you utterly and completely broken. And you think you can put yourself back together? You can't put yourself back together. Only Jesus Christ can put you back together. What Jesus is offering you is this kind of order in which he takes your life moment by moment and he begins to put you back together. He begins to make you whole. He begins to make you complete. He takes all of the broken areas and all of the sin and all of the shame and all of the anger and all of the resentment and he brings order into all of that chaos. But if you do not choose order, then you choose the chaos. It's the only option. But the last one is this. Jesus not only offers truth and blessing and order, Jesus offers life. Jesus offers life. Look at this in verses 32 and following. 
And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting beside my door. Let me stop right there before the last two verses. If you've been with us in Proverbs, you know that this idea of listening and hearing is more than just what hopefully, Lord willing, you're doing right now, which is like words are going to your ears and you're processing those. To hear and to listen is to turn towards the Lord. Is to say, okay, I have heard this and I believe this and I turn my back on all of this and I give myself to you. That's what it means to hear and listen. That's what our parents mean when they want us to listen to them. They're, they're not saying they just want us to hear the words. They want us to respond. And so listen, here, here's what the word of God is saying this morning. is Jesus saying, I want you to listen to me. I want you to turn to me. I want you to hear me. I want you to turn your back on foolishness and turn your life towards me. You say, well, what happens when I do that? It sounds like a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal to say, I have all these dreams and all of these hopes and desires, but what I want most is Jesus. That's a big thing. But what does he give? Look at what he says in verse 20, 35. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. He's speaking this to living, walking, breathing people, but they don't have any life. And he says, if you will simply come to me, if you will trust me, if you will acknowledge me, if you will make me your greatest treasure, what I will give you then is I will give you life. He will take your physical body and he will put his very life that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ into you and he will make you alive. I think about this vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 37. You, you know it, it's this, this vision of dry bones, a valley of dry bones. Listen to me here. Ezekiel has this vision and there's this valley. So there's these hills around here and just big valley and it's filled with bones, dry bones. There's no flesh on them. They're bones that look like they've been there for years. They're just old dry bones. And what the Lord says is Ezekiel, that's how I see my people. They're just dry bones. There's no life. And these are people that are living, breathing, walking. But the Lord says, what I see is what I see is really there. And could it be that this morning, you might appear as if you're thriving and everything is going your way, but could it be that God sees you and he sees a pile of dry bones? Because there's no life there. And then the vision goes on where the Lord comes and then he begins to speak and it begins to breathe his life and the dry bones get put together and they get flesh on them and ligaments on them and all of a sudden they begin to live and they experience life. Why? Because God took dry bones and brought them to life which is a picture of what he has to do in every single one of us. This is why in John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And if you're here this morning, you have that birth, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And if you have not trusted Christ, you don't have that spiritual birth, which means you're walking dead. He goes on in John 3, 36 and says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life and whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you don't choose life, you're choosing death. Now look at the last verse. Can you imagine God bringing us to this verse on Easter? He who fails to find me injures himself. How many times, I'm gonna say this to you, my whole ministry here, however long God keeps me here, I'm gonna keep saying to you, sin just brings more pain. 
it brings more brokenness. Imagine taking your broken life and just making it more and more broken. Taking the broken egg and you just keep stepping on it, making it more broken. Sin just brings more problems. And it says this, he who doesn't find me injures himself. Listen, all who hate me love death. You know, it's poetic literature. Doesn't mean you love death, but what it means is this. If you reject life, you're choosing death. And where it is that life could reign in you and you could know the very life of God, what you're doing is you're actually choosing to stay dead, to be a shell of a human being that does not know the life of God, that does not experience the life of God and does not give the life of God to anyone else. And you will have children and they will not know the life of God. And you will be around friends and they will not know the life of God. Why? Because even though it looks like you have everything together, you are a shell of a human being because God's life is not there. And the reason that's such a good Easter verse is because the Easter is about death and life. It's about the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us that no one takes his life from him. He lays down his life willingly and he will pick it up again, he says. Meaning the reason Jesus dies is because he wanted to die. And when he wants to get up, he's going to get up and he does. He dies not because he was murdered. He dies because he chose to die. And he died not for his sin, but for ours. And so on the cross, what Jesus is doing is he's taking the death that we deserve to die and he's dying it in our place. He's taking the sin, he's taking the shame of everything that we have ever done. It's all being piled up on Jesus on the cross and he has a physical and spiritual death. He physically dies, which we deserve and then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's forsaken by the father, experiencing the fullness of death that we deserved so that he can take it in our place. And what his resurrection says is this, not only has he had died for our sins and those sins have been buried, but he was risen in newness of life because he has the power over life and death. And when he wants to live, he lives. And when he wants to give life, he gives life. And what the resurrection says this morning is this, is that he's the only one that can give you life because he's the only one that has it to give it. And the life that he has given is a life that never ends. Which means you don't gotta spend $2 million a year to stay alive. You know why? Because on the other side of death is the greatest life you could ever imagine. Is death hard? Yes. Does death have a little bit of sting to it? Yes. But imagine the hope that settles in your heart when you realize that life with Jesus is increasing life every single moment of your life until eternity, when for all of eternity, you know the newness of life. I'll finish with this. The last time my family was at the beach, I got this little warning on my phone. And uh, it, was a, it was a warning for a rip current that was coming through. Now, a rip current goes uh, perpendicular to the shore. So if the shoreline is this way, what a rip current does, I shouldn't have said I'm almost done because you're packing up. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stay with me. I knew that was a mistake as soon as I said it. Stay with me. Listen. A rip current. So you're, you're swimming here, and what happens is a rip current just takes you straight out. And what this said is the rip current was so strong, it can take you one to two feet a second. Imagine that, one to two feet a second, just taking you out to sea. Now, because like all of us, I like to be very prepared for things that will almost assuredly never happen to me. I begin to study what to do when you get caught up in a rip current, okay? And every article, because you have to read a lot of them, say, say the same thing. Every article says the same thing. Don't try to swim back to the shore. Because two things are gonna happen. First, you're not gonna make it because you're not strong enough. And you're going to get exhausted trying and not be able to stay afloat and you're going to drown. 
thought to me myself, well, what a picture that is of, of a godless life, of a life without Jesus. We're just being kind of pulled out without our control because we're not under control if we don't have under the control of Jesus Christ. We're just kind of being pulled out into this, this ocean of, of aimlessness and, and sin and shame and destruction and brokenness. And what we try to do is we know that that's out there. So we try to get as hard as we can and swim as hard as we can to try to get back to the shore, but we never can. And we just get exhausted and exhausted. And in the end, we realize it never works because the only thing that will get you out is someone who comes to save you. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to take this life that is being washed out into a meaningless existence for all of eternity. He wants to save you and to give you his life. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to acknowledge that you need it. Lord, I need need your life. I I don't want to live this way. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, would you save me? I, I, I have so many dreams and ambitions, God, but none of those things matter if I'm an empty shell of a human being. Lord, I want your life in me. And so I'm coming to you this morning in the spirit of Proverbs 8. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. I'm calling you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to trust his death as the payment for your sins and his resurrection as the means to new life. Humble yourself before God in the presence of this congregation and say, Lord, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.